Hey Rippers, are you learning how to surf? But have you got a clue? Or are you a big old kook? Since there's a million ways to kook it, you should stick around and learn a few things. Because if you don't know, let me tell you right now, surfers love to spot a kook. But don't get all stressed about it, because everyone kooks it once in a while. And that's the reason we started KookCast. And the more you know, the less you'll kook it. <laughs> so bust out your swimmies and get ready to learn. KookCast is here to lead you on your journey out of kookdom one episode at a time. And hopefully, offer you some traction on this slippery slope between kookery and killing it. I'm your host, Coach Chris, and I started the surf coaching and education resource, thesurfcontinuum.com. And this week on the show, I linked up with Holly Beck, former pro surfer and all-around rad chick. And, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely stoked on all of the guests on the show, whether it's because I know them personally in advance and I just know the dynamic's going to be great, or because I've known and admired them from afar, you know, just through surf industry and, and known of them through magazines and videos, whatever. So obviously today's guest is one of the latter. I've never met Holly before and I had such a lovely time sitting with her and, and hearing uh, all the things she's working on now, a little of her background of learning to surf, with, which I think you're gonna be a little surprised in. I, I certainly was. Uh, you know, you always expect these high level pros to have been groomed from day one, but she kind of had to fight for her right to surf in the start. So it's, uh, it's good stuff. So sit back, enjoy, and let's get into this one. I, uh, the reason I actually reached out to you is because I'm on your mailing list. Okay. And I got that like notification about your, you know, building courage. I thought that was a really cool idea for a workshop. How did, uh, how did it go? Oh, and great. Yeah, we just had it. When was it? Sunday. Beautiful weather. Uh, we capped it at six participants because we didn't want to have to bring in like extra kind of facilitators and mm. to kind of keep safety in the water because you never know what skill level people are going to show up with. I feel like three to one is really like the max participants to facilitators. So mm. yeah, we had a, a full full session with a wait list and it was awesome. That's great. Yeah. The, I really like that idea. It, it's just something I run into a lot is, you know, s people, they don't want to just get better at surfing. They want to feel better about surfing. They want to know what they're doing. They want to be able to have a plan or understand what they're looking at. Is that kind of like what you were addressing in this session or what, what exactly did you guys do? Well, I mean, to, to, that's, that's like, a, there's a lot of different things that could be addressing that question. But in this particular session, it was just about like, we're just trying to get more surf therapy opportunities out there. And uh, my, the co-facilitator and I, she's already a licensed therapist and she and I have been working together on quite a few different surf therapy sessions. And we sort of had the idea like, what if we make it instead of like a recurring, cause she was trying to do like a weekly recurring surf therapy drop-in session mm -hmm. where people could just sign up and, and come down and, and do like a small group experience. And, you know, for me, from like the marketing perspective, I'm like, what if we like made a theme and made it more like an event? Mm. Like would that end up generating more interest? And it turned out that it did. Right. And so 
Um, in talking about like what theme to use, it was like, oh, overcoming fear. I mean, I think that's like pretty universal. Like, totally. And it can encompass like whatever surf level you're at. I mean, we all professional surfers, big wave surfers, like everyone experiences fear. Mm -hmm. It's just like a different threshold. Right. Um, so the kind of the goals of the workshop were to help people understand like, what is fear? Like, how does it show up in your body? Like what part of your central nervous system is being activated? And then giving people an opportunity to sort of speak into those fears. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something powerful just about naming them, mm. especially in a supportive group. And, and something that I found surprising was that so many people had the same fear and it wasn't the fear I expected them. Like, what would you think Ooh. would be like the most common fear? You get a group of, okay. say, advanced beginners and what's going to be the most common fear? That's, that's a great question because I used to ask that question all the time. Like, what scares you? And I was always shocked at the answers. But what I would guess is big waves, drowning, sharks. Right, and what would you, what have you found? Um, well, some of those things. What was, so one of them was not being able to surf, like getting too old and not being able to continue surfing. Um, that was one that I was like, oh yeah, that's, you wouldn't think of it, but that's a legitimate fear. And then it kind of, I almost adopted it a little bit. I was <laughs> like, oh no, no, I'm afraid of that. Um, and, and then what was the other? Oh, and just the embarrassment. Of, Boom. Yeah. Of that, being a, that was like number a cook, one. Basically. It's like people were more worried about what other people thought of them than physical harm coming to them. Mm -hmm. Like the bigger fear, at least in this small sample size. And that was really surprising to me. And I, and I think there's something powerful for people who do have that fear. And again, I think that's one of those ones that we all have to a certain degree mm -hmm. of worried about what other people think of us. But to feel normalized in that, like, okay, it's not just me, like everyone else out there or like a big percentage of other people out there are worried about the exact same thing. Um, and there, there's something kind of healing just in that in like feeling like I'm not alone. I don't have to feel shame about this. Like mm. this is a legitimate fear that people have. Um, and so then we kind of worked through some breathing exercises and some kind of guided meditation on like working on your own emotional reaction to having that fear. And then it was like, okay, now let's talk about the practical and, and what can we do in the water to help you feel more comfortable? So whether it's like addressing like how to approach a crowded lineup, how to get out of people's way, let's work on your turtle roll. Like each person has a different kind of skill deficit that if they could repair would make them feel a little bit more confident in piling out. So that's where the one-on-one -on -one aspect comes in. And, and then as part of the, the sort of package, then we also filmed the surf session and then we're going to be doing one-on-one -on -one Zoom sessions where I'm going to get a chance to like dive deeper into like their own emotional state or their own fears or whatever else they want to talk about in surfing, as well as actually the concrete, like, okay, I noticed on this wave that your foot was in the wrong spot or look at your eye line. Mm -hmm. So kind of like addressing all of those things. That is so cool. I think that must have been so valuable for those people. And I, I love what you were saying about, you know, how you deal with it. Just in this, well, let's say in the spirit of, you know, expressing that 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 fear that and recognizing that we all have it we were talking about that before we started recording and how the reason like part of my fear in that same genre let's say uh that's why i started kookcast and i called it kookcast 
because I was like, well, what's everyone going to say to me when they're like, oh, what a stupid podcast or blah, blah, blah. You know, I had all these imaginary uh-huh. narratives going on in my head. And I was like, I'm just going to call it Coopcast. So if anybody gives me shit for it, I'm going <laughs> to say, like, hey, it's Coopcast. What? It's not Pro Surfer Cast. I'm a Coop. I'm the host of it. It's And it wow, was like my fail safe. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, let me just call this thing exactly what it is. Like, let me beat them to it, basically. Uh-huh. And then as I went, it, it was actually sort of therapeutic for me to work through it and hear from people who had very similar fears. Um, but I just, I love how you recognize that, you know, that, that everyone has that fear and you found a way to help people, you know, like mend from it, heal from it and grow from it. Cause it's probably something that never really goes away, but you learn how to manage and you learn how to like silence it and be like, no, that's that fear again, like, right. you know, and use your, your techniques. So do you, is this going to be something that people could do again with you? Yeah, that's the goal. We're just I'm just kind of getting started in it. Like this is really like the beginning of the my surf therapy journey. So, I'm I'm really like still learning. I mean, I can I can tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, please do. Yeah, so cuz I think there's going to be a lot of interested people in this. Yeah, so like my little like background in a nutshell, like I I grew up, I had a super privileged background. I was like the oldest kid in like an upper middle class neighborhood in Palos Verdes, California and kind of had like all the material things I needed. But, you know, my dad worked a lot. My mom had substance abuse things. Like I definitely experienced a lot of trauma as a kid. Um, And just kind of the ocean became my place of healing. Like that was the place that I went. And like, as soon as I discovered the ocean, which wasn't really until I was in high school, Um, I felt most alive and I didn't I don't know that I was really like conscious of that at the time but it was definitely like if I was having a hard time at home or whatever like I would get in the ocean and like everything felt better and Mm -hmm. I just became like so obsessed with surfing um, because of that feeling that it gave me and then I was a pro surfer for 10 years but I still like had always kind of struggled with like self-worth issues which I think is also super common like especially being a woman um, when I wanted to learn how to surf, um, I was told that surfing's for boys and it wasn't something that I should be doing and that no one was going to like me. And I, I know like now looking back that that was just my mom's way of like trying to protect me because she was, you know, she, she was like the beautiful cheerleader, homecoming queen, like married the rich guy, became the housewife, like had a bunch of kids and that's the life that she wanted for me. Mm-hmm. And so her way of trying to like adjust my behavior from the like, tomboy that wanted to ride skateboards and climb trees and play soccer and go surfing was to be like if you do those things no one's gonna like you and the effect that it had was not to stop me from doing those things but was to destroy my self-confidence or my sense of self-worth and and so like it it was this like weird thing that then all of a sudden like I was learning to surf in the mid 90s right at the time when women's surfing first kind of started to be out in the mainstream you know with like Lisa Anderson who's this beautiful girl wearing board shorts surfing well Mm -hmm. you know obviously that hadn't gone mainstream but like it was only a matter of time and then with the release of Blue Crush and that like really exploded and now women's surfing is everywhere and it's on Chanel models and allergy commercials and car commercials and I was at a unique spot to be able to really capitalize that on that because I was the right age with the right look. I was in LA and I kind of had the personality that was like willing to put myself out there. But I sort of like at the same time of like getting all this like 
you know, sponsor support. And I was now I was on TV shows and all of this. I was still battling that like internal. I'm not good enough and no one's going to like me. And and again, I don't know that I was like super conscious. You know, this is me being 40 years old and having spent a lot of time working on myself. You know, I can look back and like dissect what was going on for myself. But at the time it was just like. I just had this like internal sense of like uh, this, I'm fake. Like these people think I'm cool, but I don't believe them. And you know, over time it just like, I had success in surfing and I was on TV shows and had sponsors and you know, traveled the world and made my living doing that for you know, 10 years or so. I had an undergraduate degree in psychology. And so there was a little bit of kind of self-evaluation that happened through learning about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kind of got burnt out on the, the surf industry and like, you know, it's really, especially in those days, you know, it was super male dominated and, you know, now the women have equal pay. And like, that was something that we were working towards. Like mm-hmm. I was the president of the women's surfing union, like advocating for pay increases. So it's amazing that it's finally gotten there. Uh, but in the era that I was there, you know, it was still like, there wasn't like now where there's like so many girls in the water. Like mm-hmm. I would, especially at like a good wave, like I would typically be the one girl or maybe there'd be like two others, but that was it. And it was always this thing I was battling against that my mom had really put in my head. And then it seemed like even though things had kind of started to change, there was still that energy of like, you're not supposed to be here. Like this is not your place and animosity from, you know, the guys in the water and, and all of that. And I just got sick of it and I quit competing and I ran off to Central America. That's, well, we're going to have to talk about that too. But before we do, I'm just wondering if, did you ever come to a point while you were going through it that you recognized like this, like subtle voice that kept telling you you're not good enough and, and battle it? Or did it take until you left it and looked back on it to be like, oh, wow, I shouldn't have been feeling that way all that time? I think I never, yeah, no, I, it was, I, I don't know the, at what point the level of awareness came in, but it always felt like I had to w- put this mask on, like, especially you know, when I did experience a lot of success and there was a lot of modeling that had to come with it, you know, like, especially, you know, being a female, I mean, I don't think it's that different now, but it was definitely even more extreme then that if you wanted to be successful, you had to look a certain way and like strut your stuff in the bathing suit, like for the camera. And like, I, that never came naturally to me. I know like some girls that really enjoy that and modeling is fun. And like, I never, it would feel good afterwards when it was done and you would mm-hmm. look at the photos and be like, wow, that was uh, sick. Yeah, yeah. Like, look at me on the cover of that magazine. Like I'm crushing it. But like, I never wanted to do that. And right. like in the moment, I'm like, God, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Like this wow. feels so uncomfortable, but I had to do it. And so in order to like get through it, it was like, okay, I'm going to step into this character. I sort of like made this character for myself. Like Holly Beck is confident and beautiful and people like her and she belongs, you know? And so if, if I like didn't really feel that inside, I would just be like, all right, I'm being Holly Beck right now. It'd be almost became a joke that I'd have with my boyfriend. Like, Oh, Holly Beck had a really long day. (laughs) Like she's (laughs) super tired right now, you know, because it was effort to like be that. And yeah, that's what I just got. I just got sick of playing that game, you know, having to go to the trade shows and kiss up to the executive that was going to make the awkward comment, you know, that I had to just laugh off Mm. because like, this is part of the game, you know? And, I was like, this is stupid. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you're saying these things because, you know, this is stuff I hear from women listeners, not exactly, but like these themes, you know, and they want to hear about it. And I just, like I was saying to you before, I just don't feel qualified to speak on it. I I can't, I'm a man. 
Um, so I'm so glad that you're addressing it and that you had this, but you had such a good, I love your, like the way you, you dealt with it, you know, and you came and you just were like, you know what, I'm, this is not, I don't like this anymore. Like I can't do it. Um, but you know, so something you said I wanted to like hit on too is how you were, I didn't realize this, you were the president of the women's like surfing union or what was it? Yeah, it was called the IWS and it was started by Rochelle and Lane and Megan and you know, Kaola, like all those girls that were like the generation right above me mm -hmm. that were my like heroes, yeah. you know. Um, and they, they were having a hard time with the ASP. They were getting the crap waves and like not the same pay and you know, the wind would turn on shore and it would be low tide and they'd be like, send the girls out. Um, and so they decided amongst themselves they needed to start a, a union, a women's union to advocate for their rights. They got a lawyer involved that was helping them. They had like a marketing chick and, and I was just about to graduate college and it was like, or maybe I had just graduated, it was the US Open of surfing and they had this like informational meeting like inviting all the women competitors to come and I went and I was like, Oh my God, these are my heroes. Yeah, like yeah. Rochelle Ballard was like my absolute hero at that time. Totally. Like the way that she charged like in barrels and whatever. And she's up there saying like, we're doing this thing to get equal, you know, stuff for women. And you know, we, we want people to get involved. And if you want to get involved, like just let us know. And I had just graduated college, you know, and I'm like a super nerd, like to the max. <laughs> and I all of a sudden didn't know what to do with myself. Cause I, I graduated from UC San Diego in three years. Cause I want to get on tour. So I was hustling, you know, and then all of a sudden now I'm done. Like, what do I do with my day? Like the way the wind blows out at like noon and I don't know what else to do with myself. Oh, wow. So I was like, I want to help. Yeah. I want to help like I'll get involved and there she was like great and you know, she knew who I was but we didn't really have much of a relationship at that point and that was in like July and then they had another meeting in November and that was like a smaller group of like kind of just the the like top girls and they invited me to come and they were like so we've decided that you're going to be president <laughs> I was like wait what <laughs> like, that is one hell of a jump like really <laughs> like Lane Beachley wants me to be the president of her organization wow it's kind of flattering though oh for sure they must have seen something in you well or... I was I had a college degree which uh -huh. is not like it took much you know like those girls <laughs> those girls are also super talented smart women that have gone on to do amazing things but like at the time like they were just focused on trying to win world titles mm -hmm. like they didn't really have the I don't know experience or drive or whatever to kind of do the more organizational side and I had said like I want to help like I've just graduated school and blah 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 and I have these skills and I want to help so they were like sweet go for it wow and I think they had gotten a little burnout too because it is exhausting when you're trying to advocate 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 and you just yeah. keep being told no I mean it's a fight it's, yeah it's you're a constantly fight. fighting and it gets tiring fighting even when the cause is so worthy and righteous for sure um, it gets frustrating. So anyways, yeah, yeah I, I, I wore that hat for a few years and so it must have been really what I was thinking is just when it was only just recently relatively that, you know, they got equal pay, you know, and this you must have been so proud, like oh, it kind of must sure. have brought back to you these times of fighting for it. And you you obviously laid the ground, you know, there's this really like important, uh, really great saying someone just recently said to me how, you know, from the outside, when you see someone work on something it looks like the last thing they did was the success part. Right. You know, like, so if you strike a stone a hundred times and the hundred and first time it splits, 
it looks like oh that was what first did time it. it but no it was the hundred times before so I, I'm sure for you it must have been like I was one of the first hits on that like I started the I definitely wasn't one of the first I mean it's been going since like the women in the 80s you know were oh, wow. were struggling like ever since surfing started that has been the struggle because there was always women competing too you know and and so it's like I was maybe somewhere in the middle, mm. but I did I did my part. Right, I was right. a part you of were it. A part of the. I was a part of it for a couple of years, and yeah, I, I did my part. So I think that all of us. Uh, I mean, there's that movie that recently came out. I don't know if you saw it. Girls can't surf. Have you seen that? I it was haven't. Kind no. of. I I think it was like uh, made in Australia, um, but it really talks about the the history. It's really it. it talks about the whole thing from the beginning of women surfing until now but the bulk of it was sort of on the generation even before I'm talking about before Lane and Rochelle and and those girls um it was all the uh, Jody Cooper and the I don't know my brain fart I'm forgetting all the names of all the heroes that went before Pam Beach and like all those girls before mm-hmm. kind of talks about their struggles for it's, you should check it out oh I your, absolutely will for your uh, women's surfing knowledge yeah no I will it was I, really well done too cool um, so yeah it, it was just you know it's just one more part and it's still not over you know but like the, the fact that the women were competing at pipe in the pipe masters were you, you know, watching? Of, oh my god! Of How course, great of course. Was it? I, yeah, I'm it was incredible. So, so happy, and and something you said before too. I'm, I've been happy to see them like putting the women out in like good condition. For sure. Too. You know, because you're so right. I even noticed just recently how it's like, oh, okay, the men don't really want to. Say, All right, so put the women out. You know, and it's kind of like, it sucks. And that's you know? still. I mean, that still happens, and it probably still will always happen to some extent because, like, you know, I, I always like to be really balanced, and like I do understand the argument on the other side that like the men are doing bigger errors and they're charging harder and they're riding bigger waves and they have more power. Like I find even myself, if I only have an hour to watch the contest, if I can choose between watching the men or the women, I would rather watch the men. And that's just me being like real. Yeah, I yeah. love the women, I support the women. I'm, if I had unlimited time, like I watch all of it. The pipe contest has been going on in the background as I'm doing everything else, yeah, yeah, regardless totally. of who's in it, you know? <laughs> but I I get the argument that the men are still gonna draw, like this is just a bigger fan group. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the women are getting like closer and more equal and as they get more spotlight time you know i think that their audience is going to grow and they're just getting better and it's it's all good right but there it wouldn't happen just immediately that's just not how things happen but as they get these chances to compete in in equal conditions or at least almost the same conditions they're going to do better for sure you know like their level is going to rise if they know they're in that heat with one other person and the world's watching them and here comes a 10-foot set it's like all right i gotta rise to the challenge and they'll do it for sure you know like and but they won't get that chance if they don't get put on the spot in front of like they're supposed to be the top competitors of the world so i i like that they get to go in those like like i love that they're at pipe for sure aren't they going to chopu this year too they are yeah i can't wait to see that you know because that's really gonna bring out the best in them. Absolutely. You know, and show the world and let the world know, like, the women can rip. Like, like just give them the chance. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like tennis. It's like the women don't hit the ball as hard as the men do in tennis, but that doesn't mean that they are not, you know, just as interesting to watch. I mean, I think in some cases, like the women's tennis, like the ratings are similar yeah. or even more in some cases, you know, so. Well, totally. And another thing about like women surfing, it just, it, surfing is such an elegant thing. I mean, I'm not the kind of surfer who's like slap, 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 and like just trying to get one big maneuver. And I'm more of like a flowy. So this, it's naturally my bias. But I just think that the women have such 
like it just suited to their type you know the elegance and the grace and flow it really just suits the women's service you know it's just it's it's really just beautiful to watch for me um i think it just you know, it just suits a woman to be a surfer. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. Get you on our team. <laughs> right? Can I be the president now? Yeah. You're um, saying the right things. But, uh, okay, so now I I'd love to ask, because I didn't realize this either. You said you started surfing as a teenager? Yeah. Wow, that's actually mind-blowing, because I was fully expecting one of the questions I always ask it's Coopcast, we're, we're talking to beginner surfers here, you know? And I try to always maintain the beginner mindset in myself, because then you're stoked all the time and you don't care what the conditions are. Anyway, that being said, I was fully expecting you to be like a lifelong little Grom surfer, like three years old, I'm getting like launched into waves by dad. That you know? would have been nice. Wow, so how <laughs> old were you? Uh, I think the very, very first time I stood up on a surfboard, I was 13 in no Waikiki, way. like after begging my parents to rent a board. And I did it once. I had like an hour rental as a 13 year old. And I was like, okay, yes, this is amazing. I'm going to no keep doing this. Way. But like I said, my parents said it was not allowed. Right, right. It was not allowed. I, I, my, uh, I was at my grandparents' house one time. And I noticed for the first time that there was an old surfboard in the rafters of their garage that had belonged to my uncle when he was a kid. So it was like definitely not like it was like a random board from like the 60s yeah. with the fins like ray at the tail. Like it was not <laughs> not an easy board to ride, but I was I didn't know. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, there's a surfboard. How did I never notice this before? There's a surfboard. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and my grandma was like, oh, get that out of the garage. Please take it. You know, my mom was like, no, no, yeah. you wow. can't have that. We're not taking that home. I was like, what? No, that's not, you know, surfing's for boys, whatever. And it wasn't until I was like, I think it was the summer before my sophomore year of high school that I was finally old enough to be like, you know what? You can't stop. Yeah, me. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I had babysitting money and I happened to find a little six foot like TNC quad, like old board from the 80s, you know, thick and yeah, weird, yeah. like at a garage sale. And I was like, I bought it. And then there was a dive wetsuit. It had like the tall neck. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally a dive wetsuit, but it fit me. I, at the same garage, it was like one of those like big block party garage sales. There was like a million people, yeah, like yeah, families yeah. that all had their stuff there. And I, I got a surfboard and a dive wetsuit. And I was like, try and stop me. What are you gonna do? And That's I kept great. it at my friend's house and I would lie about where I was going. And you know, and then I, I had been in honors English, which was like first period. And I forged my mom's signature to change my schedule. And I ended up, like I couldn't, I had to transfer out of honors English because there was no other period that it was offered. And I signed myself up for surf PE. And all of a sudden it was a class. They couldn't say no. I had to go for I school. I have to go, much. I have to go, it's a class. <laughs> and I, I had a friend that like, I lived on his way to the beach and he would pick me up and take me. and. You know, they, she couldn't really say anything about it at that point. Well, that's incredible because when did you go pro? Um, I it was I would only been surfing for a few years. Wow. Yeah, but you know, I I am like an obsessive, like super type A type of person. Yeah, you must so be. like anything, anything that I do, I do a hundred and ten percent, like all the way. And once I caught my first wave, I was just like, that's what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get good at it. And you know, I. I grew up like dancing and horseback riding and you know I 
I always loved the water, so I feel like I had kind of the foundation, like the body and brain. Like riding a horse, you might not think is like surfing, but it actually is because mm. you're paying attention to all like the subtle cues of the way the horse is moving, the way that the ears are moving. Like you're kind of scanning what's ahead. Like, is there a plastic bag? Is there a bicyclist? How many more strides to the get to this jump? So it's like kind of a lot of the similar brain pathways mm. that you use in surfing of like being super present and paying attention to all these little cues, but also having a little bit of planning ahead um so i i think that once i and i was just a water baby from the beginning so as soon as i got into surfing it just like all kind of came really naturally to me and and uh also like you know nowadays in 2022 like if you don't start doing whatever sport it is you are when you're still in the womb like you're late yeah but yeah, also right. in the early 90s like women's surfing wasn't quite what it is now so even though i still once i got onto competing i felt like i'd started late it wasn't quite as extremely late as it would be like if a teenager started now and turned pro right right yeah everyone's grooming their their little groms to be whatever they want them to be like from two, like you said, even before, yeah, which is pretty insane. But wow, I didn't know that. That's so impressive, man. It must have been. One well, then I went to college. That's the bigger thing. It's not just that I learned to surf as you know, basically a sophomore in high school, but it was the fact that after high school I went to college and I finished. Like once I finally got out on tour, I felt like that was the bigger barrier. Was that like? I was competing against people that maybe they started at 12 because like I said, like most, most women didn't start at three in that era, mm -hmm. but maybe they started at 10 or 12 if you're from Australia or Hawaii, maybe a little earlier, but like, you know, the North Americans, like I think were similar to me, but the difference was that I went to school. So mm -hmm. like I wasn't like training and traveling and like having a coach, like I was like in lecture hall. Um, but I think also like all of those things made me super motivated. It was like my mom telling me I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. That gave me something to prove. I was like, oh yeah, you're telling me I can't do this? Like watch me, you mm -hmm. know? And, and then when I was in college, it was like, all right, I got to sit in lecture hall and I got a paper to write and I got to do all this stuff. But like when I do go surfing, like I'm a hundred percent in, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it felt like it held me back, but at the same time it gave me this extra motivation. Do you have any uh, any videos or anything of you surfing like early in those days, like in high school? Probably on VHS. That would be so <laughs> fun to you see. You have a VHS converter? Yeah, nah, you know what? I don't know where a VCR is in my life. Yeah, exactly. I, I do. There's a box. My parents recently moved, and like there's a cardboard box in the garage of like home movies that my well, dad filmed as a high schooler. You don't have to go looking schooler. for it, but if you ever find something, you've okay. got to send me a little clip, even if it's just your like your iPhone, for you know, sure. filming it off the screen. That's that's awesome. Uh, I think that's really, so oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> One thing I have to go back in is that you had me laughing on is your first board and wetsuit. That is a, such a similar story to me. So my first surfboard I got for 50 bucks in a, in a surf shop when I was 12, about somewhere around there, same age. And I had been wanting to get a surfboard for like a year. Uh -huh. You know, I'm saving and I'm saving and I think I got up to $42. Yes. So I, I get into this <laughs> shop and there's a board there for $50 and it's cool. It's like from the early 90s. It's got like an eyeball with flames coming yes. away from it. So that like sold me right there, you know. Um, pointy nose, as uh -huh. we said when we were kids, you know, like it wasn't like an ugly weird board. It looked kind of sharp and like high pro, even though I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, anyway, so my parents loaned me $8 so I could, you know, make Sick. the payment. And then, but I didn't have a wetsuit, so I had like this small window, especially in New York, of being able oh, to surf. Oh, yeah. You know, I had like a shorty probably. Right. And Get like a month or something. Exactly. So like I had the smallest window to be able to surf 
and I would like push it too, you know, and just be freezing. And I'm this skinny little kid, like I get cold easily. So it was awful. So my first wetsuit my parents get for me is a woman's size eight oh dive God. suit. And it's got neon pink, neon yellow, neon green. What were they thinking with that? Oh, because it was just affordable. Like, it was whatever, like, they found suit. it in the, Go yeah. Ahead. They were like, oh, he can roll up the, that's what I did. I rolled up the bottoms, oh rolled up the edges. So it got me a couple years. And then I would put my shorty under it to really be able to go into the season. But I was just cracking up because it just reminds me of that time. And my friends had a similar story. We, we just had like this, someone had a good item. Like one friend had a good hood. The other two of us had this hood that didn't let you turn your neck, uh -huh. you know, like gloves from like die. Uh, it's too good. It's funny that. But I feel like that is like, you know, like I compare myself to like, I have friends who like grew up in San Clemente and their dad like was a lifeguard and like pushed them into waves from the beginning and they don't have that same passion. Totally. You know, it's like, oh yeah, surfing, whatever. It's always been a part of my life. Spoiled, like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go to college and not surf, you know, or mm -hmm. so it's, there's I, nothing good to be said about the struggle. I, I really agree with you so much on that because I, I think that for one, it just keeps your mentality like humble, you know, and, and you can progress in your surfing with that appreciation for what you get. And when you get the new, like, I still love my wetsuits yeah. so much. Like I have, now I take such good care of my Aww. wetsuits. You know, when I get a new one and I, I, like, I just try to keep it new as long as I can and rinse it and, and, and I put it on and it's all soft and it fits. Like I, tr I try my best not to let that ever get lost on me. Cause there was a time where just a wetsuit was the most awful thing and I didn't have any good gear. And now I have wetsuits and I'm just, it's, I still appreciate it, you know, and it's, I'm 20 some odd years into this whole thing. And, uh, yeah. And, and I know that there's a lot of people out there who will just pass up surfing. They have a beautiful board. They have the perfect board for the conditions. Yeah. They have a great wetsuit. It's all dry and crispy and they won't surf. Right. It's like, oh man, like don't ever let me be that person, you know? Yeah. I'm the same way with surfboards. Like I had like just collect surfboards because like a surfboard is just so valued i still have the same thing you're saying about the wetsuit like i felt about the surfboard like i just wanted a surfboard for so long that like yeah now i just i mean it's a little hard with my life now because i'm so like don't really feel like i live anywhere right this moment but yeah i just i love having a, a big quiver of surfboards i have like a really hard time like getting rid of boards I, yeah same the, so you're you're based in San Clemente now? No, I'm in Mission Viejo right at this current moment, but it's just very a tra transitory situation. Mm -hmm. And are you still going to be going back to Nicaragua a bunch? Because damn, that's a yeah, great place well, to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I feel like to like c continue with that story, like I moved to Central America and I was just like, oh my God, this is my place. Like I can be whoever I want to be. I was in Northern Nicaragua in like 2007, eight, nine, 10, in that era, like spending more and more time there each year. 2010 was the first year I like lived there without a home anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like that was my, that was my, became my home base that year. And there were very few other expats that lived there at that time. And you could, I felt like I could finally be myself. Like I could be barefoot. I could wear the same clothes every day. Like I had a bunch of dogs and I just served beach bag barrels like every day and i was the happiest human you could imagine there were very few other people i like broke up with a boyfriend and uh who didn't want to live down there with me and and that was hard but like i i had these moments of bliss of just like i finally for the first time in my life felt like i was doing things for myself without a worry of what other people thought of me mm. and that was so like 
A freedom. Yeah, life-giving. Like all the, it was like that. Finally, that moment. I think a lot of people go through that. I was like about to turn thirty, you know, and you get to that point, and you're like, all right, I've been following this recipe for success that other people have laid out for me. And yes, I've I've crafted it my own way, but I'm still always kind of like trying to do things to make other people happy and you know, reaping the rewards, but it, it's not just for the pure sake of like, what do I want? And, and finally I had that. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I didn't have electricity. I didn't have running water, <laughs> but I had this amazing hollow beach break in my backyard and a pack of dogs that would follow me down to check the surf. And like, <laughs> I was barefoot and like climbing through barbed wire fences. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> so how, how long did that last, that, that chapter and, and what what ultimately ended it or, or changed it to the next step? Well, while I was on tour, I got an MBA. And like I said, I'm a super uber nerd. And I sort of like, you know, the transition of being a pro surfer and like working that non for that nonprofit, trying to get the women's stuff. And then that kind of like fizzled. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I love surfing and this is fun, but like my brain is bored. Like, what do I do with my brain? And what am I going to do after surfing? I was kind of already thinking like ahead and you know, I was like, oh, I, maybe I'll like work in the marketing department at one of my sponsors. I don't want to start out as a sales rep. And I had a mentor, this woman I really looked up to that was like, you should get an MBA. She's like, that's what I did. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. And I did. And so I, I studied marketing and, and through that, I had to write a bunch of business plans, of course. And I, one of the business plans I wrote was for a women's surf school in Nicaragua, just one of the many, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I had discovered Nicaragua. I was over competing and living out of a suitcase and you know I wanted a garden and a dog and like a more consistent place and so I'm like I want to live in Nicaragua how am I going to support myself I'm going to dust off that business plan <laughs> and it was like it was not just about the money because I had made good money as a surfer and I saved it and so I had a cushion for sure but um it was also kind of like, okay, at first it was so good to have no people. And the people that were around were just like some dudes that also liked hollow waves. But I didn't, the thing that I missed most about being a pro surfer was having the crazy adventures with the other badass women. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I miss. Like the girl energy of like, woo, let's ride a bike to the end of the beach. And like, let's go swim in the estuary and like, let's paddle to the island. And, you know, I didn't have any girlfriends to do that with. So it was kind of like, let's I want to import I need to import some friends <laughs> you know so surf with amigas kind of started from that from like my desire to live down there and then okay if I'm gonna live down here like I need some friends and I want a project and you know I want to inspire other women to like live this crazy life and I have a business plan for that so let's do it and it went kind of slowly you know it started like little by little like a couple retreats a year to like five retreats a year to like wow I'm doing 12 this year crazy and it really just like expanded and grew and it's been amazing and really cool to you know give back like we have a really strong uh support of like what other nonprofits are in the area that we're running retreats whether it's sea turtle conservation or supporting women in sports or educational opportunities we built a high school you know along with other nonprofits as well but like we were a huge part of of the fundraising for that and and um so it's felt really good to me to be able to like live my dream now of like surfing amazing waves and warm water in a place where I can afford to like buy a chunk of land and build my own house to my design and walk to surf good waves. And, um, and then also my brain is stimulated because mm -hmm. I'm creating this project. And right. then my heart is stimulated because I feel like I'm doing good and, and all of that. And then, 
in the course of doing that, I, I got married, I had a couple of kids and it was crazy for a while, you know, <laughs> trying to coach surfing with a baby on the boob and then later on with a toddler bugging me and a baby on the boob but I was still like really involved in kind of everything and then as we grew then I like brought on a partner and like have awesome teammates and it like is now expanded and and all of it was going great and I absolutely love my life but I split up from my husband and he moved back to California which I never saw happening and then he started putting pressure on me to move back and it was like both for the sake of him seeing the kids more mm -hmm. and I was like no you left like <laughs> come on like yeah. we were we got married here the kids were born here like this is where we chose to live like beat it but then he's like what about school and I, I'm like I'm gonna homeschool but like as the kids started getting older like homeschooling is no joke like mad respect to all the parents who did it through the pandemic oh my god what a struggle right. you know and yeah. I thought I could do it because I can do anything but I just I couldn't do it and <laughs> <laughs> that combined with my own surf roth combined with running a business and having like two kids of different ages I just started realizing that I was not so I tried to start a school in Nicaragua and then we kind of transitioned more to Costa Rica and like tried to start a school there and it just there just it just wasn't wasn't happening and then I had a sister and brother-in-law pass away from an accidental fentanyl overdose wow. and they left behind two little kids and I didn't have parents and it was like the reasons to move back to California just started piling up mm -hmm. and like the family I'm the oldest in my family and like I really take on kind of a um kind of the responsibility role like when the shit hits the fan like I've been kind of the one that puts on the cape and comes in to sort of like piece it all together and um so that and then I started thinking like all right I need to move back to California like I don't like it but I need to do it and then when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden the tourism industry business that I had was just like I'm like and the final straw right, <laughs> you know right. like wow, there's there's the 101st like nail in the <laughs> hammer that says <laughs> right, it's time right. to move back to California right right wow that that must have been tough though to 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 see that final realization and and like have to basically surrender to it and yeah. say like okay this is like it has to be done. like life it has to be done it was a two-year process you know and, and then the other component was that I'm all now I'm single I've been single for two years and I love partnership like I'm the type of I'm a serial monogamous I've always had a been in a relationship and I started looking around and I was like and there's absolutely no partners here like I'm gonna open up the gender spectrum like I'm not even gonna be just men like <laughs> human of appropriate age that is you know fits these criteria one of which is that they're a good surfer because you know that has been an issue in past relationships and as a as this woman that surfs well you know that's better than yeah, yeah that's I a barrier imagine. like he doesn't have to be better than me because that's you know that's a big he's ass gotta be able to paddle out with he, you <laughs> he's gotta not embarrass me like that's what i learned in my past relationship i need to be i need to be attracted to him in the water or it is not gonna work it's totally. not sustainable so that was like that was the final like all of the other reasons i felt like were for other people you know for the kids for my ex for my family you know uh, my finances my finances like i don't know about this tourism business but like ultimately the thing that like i'm like also i want a partner and like i got to go back to california where all the people are so here i am yeah wow what a story what a what a journey that's like first of all so noble what a i was going to say before how the decision to go there in the first place and you had to split with a partner to make that happen, you know, and, and basically kind of restart a little bit, you know, 
that's that's a big deal. But that it didn't feel like if that felt like that was that easy. felt like being purely selfish. That mm-hmm. was my era of like I've been living my life for other people mm-hmm. or from other people's expectations, and now I need to do what I want to do, and mm-hmm. that was what I wanted to do. So. Maybe from the outside that seems extreme, but that was actually the thing that felt most true. That was the most liberating. That was the most true to me and Mm -hmm. who I am. And like this life I'm living now that I've been doing since it's been like six months or seven months, like this feels like I'm doing it for other people. And it, it really is like the relationship that I feel like that's the thing that's fuel. That's me. Like when I get to go and surf with my, I found one, I found an awesome boyfriend that I'm attracted to in the water and he's amazing. And like, that's the part that's like, okay, it's all this other stuff is hard, but I feel good about it. I'm doing it for other people, but this is the thing I'm doing for me. And, and then also like thinking about how am I getting back to Central America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I was going to ask, how like, am I gonna so get what's back? the plan? How, how I, you... I think we're looking at like a two to three year plan of like this. Hopefully this will be the year that I spend the most time in California. And then starting next year already, like 2023, spending like at least getting closer to like back to half the year, maybe a couple years doing half and half. And then maybe after that, we'll go back to full time. Mm-hmm. Once the kids can read. <laughs> Once both kids can read and they at least have that foundation, then I think I'll feel, and they're a little older to kind of be a part of the decision. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I'll be able to like go, okay, like I might not be able to live where I was living in Central America, but maybe there's like a hybrid because there are good schools down there. They just aren't where I was living. Right, right, right. So much to think about so much to balance but you sound like a master of it like you said you're the one with the cape in the family (laughs) yeah and I do like I said like as crazy as my life is a lot of times I do like kind of like having so many balls in the air like it it keeps my it keeps me interested and I'm yeah, well, really you're, good at just you're a full throttle chilling, person. But, yeah. <laughs> so, and what about your surfing nowadays? Are you you keeping yourself in the water? You know, yeah. staying active. How do you? It's that's, that's been the that's been the hardest thing for sure. Because uh, I, you know, my, surfing is my therapy, and I feel most like I can be myself in the water. And and this current life I'm living, I'm not getting enough water time to to really feel good about myself. And I have had like a couple breakdowns of like, oh my God, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't breathe. Um, but you know, we're getting through it. It's it's all, I know that it's a short term thing and, and, and really the surf therapy has been helpful. And, mm-hmm. and so that is where like, I've kind of put the new energy and like in, in thinking about, okay, I have to live in California. Like what am I gonna do with myself? And um, a friend had told me a few years ago that she was getting her master's in counseling and she was a yoga teacher and she had worked for Surf with Amigas a bit. And she was like, yeah, I want to, you know, she does her own retreats a bit. She's like, I'm getting this master's in counseling and I want to kind of do a little bit more holistic, like kind of wellness retreats where there's like a little bit more focus on mental health. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like that kind of like planted the seed. Mm. And then when my sister passed away, and she had struggled with mental health for most of her life and substance abuse things. And, you know, I had too, but I had never really gotten that help. And I, I was like a higher functioning psycho, you know, like I had all the issues, but I was like maybe just a little bit better at hiding them. And and so I it, it really was like, okay, like I, now I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna start that journey. Like it's been a few years since my last master's, maybe it's time for another one, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, And then when the pandemic hit, that was like, okay, now I'm doing it now. Mm. So I started this master's of counseling program and I had noticed in retreats that there's so much parallel between the way that someone shows up in the water 
And then I would hear their story, you know, it'd be like after dinner with a glass of wine and someone's telling me their relationship story or their job story or their family story. And I would start to notice the parallels, like whether it be like a lack of awareness of other people in the water. And then I would see that on land, this lack of awareness of other people and or the opposite, an excessive awareness of other people, like not standing up for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I would see it in the water or, you know, like fear issues, anxiety, like whatever it is. Like I started to see some parallels and think, oh, this is interesting. And then as I was studying counseling and learned so much about myself, of course, and those around me and communication styles and and personality styles, and it, it kind of like started coming together. And then I, I heard about this organization called Groundswell, which is a surf therapy organization. And it was started by this woman who was a therapist and also a surfer. And she was realizing she was only getting so far with talk therapy. And she came up with this organization to do surf therapy. And we connected and I did like a, uh, a online, you know, surf therapy facilitator training. And it was kind of like all of these pieces in my life had come together. Mm. It was like, okay, I, the ocean has healed me. I've, I've done these retreats where I'm like teaching people to surf, you know, but I'm only addressing their physical surfing. I'm not addressing the things that are also holding like, okay, I can tell you to put more weight on your front foot or get your board in the center or put your eye line up. And that's going to take you this far. But like, what about fear? What about anxiety? What about like owning your space? Like I, we're not addressing that. And, and so all of a sudden it was like, oh, here's this curriculum that is going to address that. And so that's what has been inspiring me now. And, and the first year of the program was all online. And then there's the field training component. And I feel so fortunate that my school approved Groundswell as a, as a field training site. I didn't think that was going to be a possibility. So I've been actually getting hours towards my degree by getting to go surfing. Wow, awesome. And it's been great for me because I sometimes have a hard time like taking the time. I feel so busy because I'm still running Surf with Amigas from afar and, you know, nurturing a new relationship. And I'm a single mom trying to drive my kids back and forth to school and activities. And, you know, it takes up so much time in my day that having to go to the beach to go do these surf therapy things it's getting me to the beach more often than otherwise I would and Mm -hmm. so that has been really good and the way that surf therapy works it's like yes I'm a facilitator but I'm participating so it's like a really egalitarian structure where yes I'm giving lessons but when we go around the circle and share like I'm sharing alongside everyone else and really getting that benefit alongside everyone else so That's that's been huge yeah that's great I feel like this would be a really good time for you to tell everyone like how they can just get in your world. Like I know you're you're really good on Instagram, um, but if they don't have Instagram, is you know how do they get on your mailing list or what? What's the best way to be? around you and hear about your new things and developments. Right on. Well, until I, I'm going to graduate in June, knock on wood. Uh, and so until then, I'm basically just working with Groundswell. So Groundswell is an amazing organization. It's a nonprofit. So even if you yourself can't participate, you can give the gift of surf therapy because they they really make it uh, affordable to people that have the means and people that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a scholarship opportunity. So supporting the cause through Groundswell. And then we're also doing events. We have a... Uh, I don't know what the timeline is for posting this, but we have four week programs for people that already know how to surf, that want to get surf coaching, and then also kind of address their their emotional situation in surfing too. So we have a few of those coming up, but there's events, um, kind of one day when stand are they up coming events. Up? I can make sure to get this out in time. Okay, well, the first, the one that we're taking signups for right now starts February 26th. Okay, That's I can easily do that. Okay, cool. 
but yeah, so either through the grounds, I think it's groundswellcommunity.org. Um, and then I also have a personal website. It's surfwithhollybeck.com. Mm -hmm. And so on my website, we'll be pointing to the Groundswell events. And then once I graduate, I'm still going to be very involved with Groundswell, but I'm also kind of going to be starting doing my own things as well. And then through Surf with Amigas, one thing I want to do, kind of tie it all in, is do more surf therapy retreats. Because mm -hmm. it's so amazing to just like get out of, like you really totally. want to talk about therapy. Yeah. <laughs> like get out of your day-to-day -day right. grind and away from your kids or your husband or your whatever your job and take a week mm -hmm. to give yourself that and and that's already been so therapeutic just our normal retreats but this would be kind of taking it to the next level we're gonna you know kind of set the stage for having a real safe space to talk about and bring up like whatever it is that comes up yeah um and so we're gonna be doing a lot more of those in the next year as yeah well. you're so right about how the traveling really just helps you just reset it all like just change the setting entirely I think there's something about, you know, the familiar that just keeps certain things present. Even though you're working on something or you're going to this, you know, therapy clinic, you're still in this world and you still go to your same home and take the same, you know, when you go somewhere else and change and get in this group, it's really, really um, powerful. And I think one thing I try to figure out, I haven't yet, but how do you take that with you when you leave, you know, back home? that's that's the thing because first day you're super inspired you know second day still a little but then third day and like little yeah. by little you start going back to home life and what it was like before and i just want to that's one thing i would like to figure out and if you know you you'd have to tell me that how to preserve that the lessons you learn and, and and all the inspiration you get i think it helps if you're a part of a community and and you're having that connection with other people that are on the same thing i mean i i that it is a struggle and i agree and i think like like when i dream now like okay what's my plan for the next you know five let's say five years three to five years from now like and and also to speak to how to maintain that for people and i think for me it's like i would come home to california and do some in-person things you know where yeah it's not a retreat but you can do a one day you know several hour workshop to kind of give you that boost it's like the booster shot right, from your right, retreat you right, know you right, give right. that boost you connect you speak that language again you feel that feeling again and then maybe there's like a you know four week session and then you have your retreat like six months later and then having like you know a collection of consistent clients that you check in with you know mm -hmm. and i'm going to be traveling so it'll be like via zoom which has become so normalized now yeah. that you check in with at whatever regularity works you know and whether you have your own like nor norm quote unquote normal you know talk therapy program with your therapist and and this would be like a supplementary thing that we're going to speak the language of surfing we're going to talk about it in the context of surfing or you know like the weird thing about therapy i feel like is that you know there's still a stigma associated with sure, it like yeah. it's changing yeah like the i feel like with the pandemic and with all the athletes lately whether yeah. like the olympic athlete simone biles right, and right. and even within the surfing world like gabriel medina's yeah, not competing yeah. this year totally. you know and like he's and not straight upset it like emotional issues and like, he's not being shamed right. he's being supported you know and i so i feel like all of those things go to start minimizing that stigma but to some extent it's still there mm -hmm. and somebody might be like oh well i don't i don't need therapy i mean i've got all the normal stuff like anxiety and childhood trauma whatever and maybe they don't even name it but we all have it mm -hmm. all of us have it and and what i've noticed in doing this is that people come for the surf coaching and they're like yeah i'm open to talking about that other stuff but they realize that that other stuff 
needs more attention mm -hmm. and and it kind of like opens it up so like if if you're listening to this and you're like oh i don't you know some people are like oh yeah i do therapy already and but wouldn't it be so cool to be able to do therapy in the context of surfing like that sounds amazing and i've we've had people that have done that like i'd rather talk about surfing with my therapist than talk about just what my relationship things or my therapist doesn't understand my surfing addiction you know <laughs> but then there's other people that are like oh i don't really need therapy you know and like this is where i'm like Think, don't think about it as therapy. Yep. Think about it as like speaking your normal day-to-day -day struggles in a supportive space without having to like burden your friends or your mm -hmm. friends that like are, are just gonna say, oh, no big deal. Or like, right. I have it worse. They're gonna compete with you of like, oh, that sounds bad. Let me tell you about my day, right. you know? Right. So it's like, we all, we all could use that support and like self-awareness and self-discovery and like, oh, I had no idea that what was showing up for me in the water is actually tied to that thing that happened to me when I was a little girl, you know? Wow, wow. So, so awesome what you're doing, Holly. I'm so happy I got the chance to, to hear from you and, and for the listeners too, because as I said, I'm not sure if I said it when we recorded, but I always hear from my women listeners saying like, we need to hear from more women. So thank you so much awesome. on, on their behalf and, and of course for me. Uh, it was really great, great to hear. Awesome, well thanks for having me, stoked. Right on.